Township. Touchdown! Scores. Taking a look at the NBA tonight. Highlights. ever thought about why people act the way they do? Why are some people more difficult to deal with while others are always pleasant? Let's find out together. Welcome to Human Behavior. What a trip. Your host is Dr. Jonathan Brower. Our program combines expert guests with people just like you who have questions or comments. We'll have fun exploring human behavior. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Brower. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Jonathan Brower. My show is called Human Behavior, What a Trip. And we're going to have a wonderful trip today. My uh, guest is Alan Anderson, and he's written and co-authored with, with his wife, Linda, uh, quite a few books on dogs in particular and other kinds of mammals. And welcome to the show, Alan. Well, thank you, Dr. Brower, for having me on your show. You're very welcome. And it's okay with you. I'll call you Alan, and you can call me Jonathan. Okay, I'll do that. Okay. So uh, we have a lot to do, and uh, we'll have a good time. Uh, what I'd like to start off with, if it's okay with you, is uh, to tell our audience about your childhood. The reason I like to do this in the beginning is, um, you know, you're just a stranger to them, as am I, and uh, when they hear about you and know a little bit about you growing up, they're going to have a better opinion about you than if they did if they didn't know that. <laughs> so it'll be some kind of uh, affinity building up. So um, tell us about your childhood. Well, I, I my parents or my father was in the military, so we moved around quite a bit. Uh-huh. We moved from place to place every two to three years, uh, sometimes shorter. Uh, time periods at a particular location yes. around the country. Uh, we even lived in uh, Japan for three years, and this is when I was in uh, preschool and first grade. And uh, funny it was that because our the teacher that I had, and my sister was also with me during much of this, but our teacher was a Japanese lady, wonderful lady, with English as a second language. Oh, how convenient. So when we came back to the States, they immediately put us in speech therapy <laughs> classes so we could learn how to speak English properly. But it was kind of funny to have that, uh, yes. that uh, as part of our growing up. So all the way through high school, you were moving around to different schools? Yeah, well, yeah, we moved around, but you know, basically, by the time I get to high high school, my uh, they were retired and they were living in South Georgia, next uh, on Saint Simon's Island, and it was a beautiful place to go to high school, and uh, the beaches were there, and of course, the long morning and evening walks with the dog after you know before and after school and after the part time jobs that I had, uh-huh. it was a it was a nice nice lifestyle. My parents were uh, uh, doing the best they can, like most parents, because yeah. you know. As I was growing up, there was all the different things that were happening in our our country and our society, and I was, of course, part of being uh, what you would call a, t- a typical teenager with all the rebellion things that were going on inside of me. But it was it was a good a good um, a good situation where they they did what they could in the best way they knew how, and I I really appreciated the fact that they they gave it their all. What year did you were you born? I was born in 1954. I see. Okay. So um, were you happy to be in high school in the United States, or would, would you just have been as... 
Oh, I was very glad that we were back in the States. I went to actually uh, uh, sixth and seventh grade here in, uh, in in Colorado when they they were transferred back from Japan. I see. And that's where they had put me into the uh, uh, learn how to speak English classes in between the regular regular uh, junior high classes. So uh, because of the uh, so how many <laughs> languages can you? Uh, oh, I I did I never learned to speak Japanese. I learned to speak the English version of a Japanese person. I see. As a, as a second language, that was the problem. I see. But you then, but you knew English then quite well, really. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, your sister is she younger than you or older? One year younger. Uh huh. And how were the and, two of you with each other growing up? Oh, we were constantly uh, battling, but she, she, you know, it's funny. I don't know why, I, as I remember, she she really did um, look up to me, and, of course, I was protective of her, and we were always exploring things and looking around. At one point uh, in Japan, we decided to go on a great adventure, and we decided to walk into some of the villages that were near where we were living. We were off uh-huh. base at the time, and we were just exploring and having the best time. We ended up on a beachfront. And we spent the entire afternoon exploring. We were just little kids, yes. and uh, as we were coming back to the house, uh, different uh, Japanese uh, individuals would come up and say, "Your mother and father," and they would say it in the broken English, where they would say, "Basically, you're in trouble. <laughs> I see. You got you went way too far. They're looking for you everywhere. They have people all over the place looking for you." So yes. uh, that was uh, one yes. of our little adventures that we decided not to do that kind of adventure again. Yes. I just thought of one last thing, then we can get into the other things. Um, so when you were a young child and you were residing in Japan, you knew about the, the end of World War II and Japanese being bombed, right? Right, yeah. And there was a lot of hostility directed at us because we were yes. Americans living off the base area, and sometimes they would come by and they would throw things and rocks, and they would. They basically there was a lot, a lot of anger and hostility, and and a lot of. Um, Oh, I don't know. I guess just the memory of the trauma that many of the people in the families went through during that time. Yes, so when you were a little kid, I would imagine there were some Japanese adults who um, had some kind of caring for you because you, as a little boy who was an American, you certainly didn't have anything to do with the war, really. No, no. So I wondered if you'd gotten from some of the Japanese people their understanding that you were a child and you weren't to be held accountable for any of this stuff. Most everyone I, I remember from back then uh, were kind and generous and, and sweet. It wasn't, oh, I'm glad uh, to hear that. Yes. That, was, that helped make your life a lot easier. It certainly does. Yes. Okay, so I have in front of me a wonderful book. It's called A Dog Named Leaf. The subtitle is The Hero from Heaven Who Saved My Life. And you're the guy writing the book. So uh, (laughs) which way would you want to start, with the dog or with your uh, problems with uh, blank and drawing blank? What do you you call it? Well, I had... uh, What I had was uh, an unruptured brain aneurysm. Yes, right, an aneurysm in your brain, which could be fatal. Absolutely, absolutely. And, of course, with September being... Uh, brain Aneurysm Awareness Month, I wanted to talk a little bit about that and how the dog helped me through many of these 
these yes. problems that uh, I had to suffer through or go through as as I was getting through the process of getting it repaired and all the okay. all the things that came up to that. So which came first, the aneurysm or the dog? The dog. We adopted the dog before I found out. I see. So just by chance, you adopted a, an adorable dog, and you fell in love with your dog, and everything was fine. Well, not quite. Oh, he wasn't really? adorable. What? <laughs> he was abandoned because he had all these uh, issues. He And I think he had some sort of abuse issues, too, because when he was at the shelter, uh, he didn't like to be touched. He didn't like people. He would snap. He was basically having some real problems. So we adopted him because he was so cute physically, but when we brought him home, we found out that this guy has some real, real problems when it came to whatever happened to him when before he was dumped at the shelter. Okay, so we can we can uh, be sure that pictures don't don't tell the whole story because on the cover of your book, I'm looking at this adorable, well-groomed spaniel. Yeah, he's a, he's a beautiful pup. He really is. Yeah. <laughs> And he's turned out, in, I'm not going to tell the whole story, but he's turned out through a lot of love and a lot of care and a lot of long nights with him being held on my chest and I'm reassuring him that he's loved and he's not going to go yes. back and people aren't going to hurt him anymore, where he finally began to trust and to open his heart yes. to the fact that these people weren't mean people. And so you got him about a year after he was born? Right. According to the shelter, he was about a year old. They really didn't know because all they had was a camera of uh, of uh, yeah. the dog leaf on a motorcycle, and the people dumped him with another dog at the back door of the okay. shelter. And how is he still alive? Oh yes, yes. He's still how old alive. is he now? Uh, he's seven, about oh, seven so and a half still, now. He's still a, a middle middle aged kind of guy. He's showing a little bit of white hair now. Yes. Yes. So. Uh, Tell us your story, whether it's first with the dog or with the aneurysm, however you want to do it. Well, okay, now we go to the shelter and we bring this dog home because yes. we just we just adore him. And, I, you know, this was really hard because I had lost a really beloved pet, uh, a dog, about six months earlier, and I just uh, just was going through so much yes. on that because you know how it is with loss. Yes, I, I, I've had that with my dogs, too. Oh, it's just devastating, isn't it? It just turns everything around. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I feel for you. I can, I know exactly, and I can feel the fact that uh, any kind of loss, especially that kind of loss, is just just goes right to the core of. Of course, our, we love our dogs. Oh, absolutely! It's yeah. the only you know creature in the world really that comes when you come home. They look at you and they just say in every possible way, "I adore you." Yes, exactly. And we need that. Of course, they need it, and we need it. We we all need it. We just need that once in a while. Yeah. Well, okay, well, we go to the shelter, Yeah. and we find this dog, and we bring him to the little room, and we begin playing with him. Not really playing with him. He was giving us the eye, wondering, am I going to be able to trust these people? But he finally came over, and I stroked him one time, and in my heart I knew I'm going to do whatever I can to help him, not knowing that the day will come when he was going to do everything he could possibly do to help me. Yeah. So we brought him home, and he stayed up all night howling. Oh, my God. Did the neighbors hear it a lot? I'm sure they did, but we had the windows closed. It was it was luckily not yeah. too loud. But he was howling. He couldn't sleep, and uh, we were awake all night trying to figure out what to do. We had no idea because every other dog we've ever had really just fit right in and was so comfortable and, yes. and just loved, and he was really disturbed. Yes. Well, finally, I got up, and I would, you know, I just basically said, well, 
we're going to have to really you know, be proactive because I wasn't about to take him back because I knew what would happen. Yes. And I didn't want that to happen to him. I wanted him to know that he was going to be okay. Yes. So I held him in my arms on my recliner uh, chair in my office, and I stroked him, and I would just whisper to him that he's loved and everything would be all right. And he listened to my heartbeat, and he began to calm down. He began to really start relaxing. And then after maybe 30 minutes of that and just total, complete reassurance to him that he was going to be loved and he wasn't going to have to leave again, this is forever, he started snoring. And when the he started snoring, night. I got to snore, and Linda in the other room got to snore. We all, I'm not saying that she snores, but she went to sleep, and we all really finally was able to sleep. Now, that's lasted day after day, night after night, for a couple of weeks until he began to realize that everything was okay. Yeah. And he began to sleep on his own in his own little doggy bed in the bedroom just so next yes. to us, and everything began to start getting somewhat normal with him. Yes. Even though he didn't like to be touched, and he was afraid of men, and he had these issues of someone who looked like they might have come from a sort of a, a, a maybe an abusive type of background. Yes, sounds that way. Well, about this time, I was having really bad dizzy spells at work, and I went to the doctor, and he said, "Well, just to you know, discount this, we're going to give you a, a CAT scan." And I said, "Okay." I thought it was an inner ear infection or something, but I got the CAT scan, and I, you know, went back to the office, and the dizzy spells that were really kind of severe went away, and I, you know, just pretty much dismissed it as just one of those things. And the doctor called me one day in the office, and he said, "You know, Alan, I've got something to tell you." And I shut the door, and I listened to him, and I thought maybe he was just going to say everything was fine and nothing. But he said, you have an unruptured brain aneurysm. Uh-huh. And I said, without thinking, where is it? And he said, in your brain. <laughs> so, yes. So I, I said, well, I, and I, kind of, I, I was kind of humorous at the time. I said, well, where is it exactly? And he said, about an inch deep in your frontal front area, right beneath in the middle of your eyes. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a, a brain aneurysm. And it is something that needs to be taken care of. Yes. So I, you know, I really didn't uh, dismiss it. I thought, well, yeah, I could put this on my to-do list. It's, I, for some reason, it didn't register at that yes. moment. And then he it's said, called, "It's called denial." Said, yeah, exactly. The yes. whole uh, started going into some sort of denial, and I, I was thinking to myself, "Oh, there's some poor guy out there. He got the wrong number, obviously. That has a brain aneurysm, and he may never know, or at least he's going he's gonna to be a while before he knows because he called me instead." Yeah. So. <laughs> So finally he said, uh, you know, this is serious. You've got to take care of it. There has to be something that will repair it. You are very, 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 very lucky that it was discovered because it has nothing to do with you being dizzy. It has nothing to do. There's no symptoms. That CASCAN found something that was there that would never have been found had you not had that, that X-ray based on the fact that you had dizzy spells and that had nothing to do with the brain aneurysm. These were two separate Two separate issues, right? Right. And I said, well, what about the dizzy spells? He said, forget that. we got a serious problem here. So, yes. so he gave me the name of a really high-quality mule surgeon in the Midwest that has nothing but the highest reputation. He wrote a book on the subject. He has a lot of – so he was a neurosurgeon, and I, I gave me the name and number and told me to call and make uh, arrangements to have him take a look at the uh, initial testing to see what, what he could possibly do. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I had basically – a reaction. I went out in the hallway. It was quiet day there at the office. I do computer work during the day and write at night and write uh, on the weekends. So my computer work helps me do my writing, which is really nice. But I was in. The, I went to the hallway and I sat on the floor and I just thought about it. 
And, you know, there's a couple things that you think about when you, when you begin to realize that for the first time in your life, your body has betrayed you. Yes. And you, and you think, wow, this is, not, this is not me. And then, of course, all the little demons pop up in your head and your mind and all the memories. My father had a, a massive stroke at a young age. And he was always, always looking towards others to help him to do even the basic things, and he was in constant pain because of his stroke. Uh-huh. Brain damage, I'm thinking of all the horrors of having to realize that you have to live life depending on other people to help you. Yes. And that frightened me because I'm independent. I don't like that. I have, I have things to do. I have to have a full brain, working brain, in order to do the work I do, to do the writing. We had a new book coming out. I had to do the promotion for it. So all that was going on, and part of my life, after I graduated from college or university with a journalism degree, I had a kind of a, a motorcycle accident, which makes it made me for several years look kind of like Frankenstein. So I used it to my advantage, and thinking I would do police work in Atlanta in order to get more work, more more storylines for my writing. Uh-huh. I actually kind of liked it. So when I did police work in Atlanta, I saw a lot of people, and I experienced a lot of people who had brain damage in the same miserable state, and in no way am I saying that they did not leave fulfilling lives in their own way. It was me and my own fear of yes. becoming a person that was dependent upon others and not fully functional. Yes. So all that was going on in my brain. <laughs> my brain that has betrayed me now that needs to be fixed because it was broken, and I was so pissed off but at the same time just really have an emotional reaction. And how did they... How did the brain aneurysm go away? Well, it, it, well, it, uh, it went away. Well, let, the one thing I wanted to mention to you, and this is funny because I think it really fits with your show, uh, What a Trip, Human yeah. Behavior. And I, I, I wanted to share this one story only because it really tells the difference between men and women and how they handle problems. Now, I uh, was in the hallway. I, I got up. We're, I went coming back. Up to, we're coming up to the first commercial break. <laughs> okay, so rather than interrupt you, let's... Uh, Take the break. We'll come back in about a minute and a half or two minutes, okay? Oh, certainly. Thank you. Okay. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip, with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. We're back to the commercial break. This is Jonathan Brower with my guest, Alan Anderson. And, uh, Alan, before we continue, uh, if people want to get a hold of you, do you have a website? Do you have a um, phone number? Anything else you want to let them oh, know? Oh, yes. Uh, well, our website's uh, www.angelanimals.net. And then Angel, uh, there's wait, wait, email Angel and phone information on the website. We also have a, a, new, a free online newsletter that we send out once a week with a story of the week. And the stories are basically about the people and the amazing uh, experiences they have with their pets. People learn so much from their pets when it came to how to become better people. They, yes. they see their pet and they see love. How do they, find this? How do they get to the newsletter? Uh, they just sign up. They go to, uh, go to angelanimals.net and they, they put Wait, wait you're going too fast. Angels what? Angel animals. Angel no. plural or, or singular? Angel animals. Animals is plural. Okay, angel animals. Dot net. Dot net. And uh, when they go there, they sign up for the newsletter and they get a confirmation email and then they'll be subscribing to that newsletter. And the newsletter is called? Angel Animals Story of the Week. Angel Animals Story of the Week. Story of the Week. And is there a space between each word? Uh, yes. Okay, good. It's, it's just a. It's just a, that's the title of the uh, newsletter. And uh, yeah, okay. I'm going to sign up for it right after the show. Oh, okay. Please. And then, um, anything else you want? Would Would you want someone to call you? If... Well, we no. If you If you happen to have a story you'd like to share, and you know, we're trying. Stats are great. We're trying to make it so people understand that. You treat animals right. You treat animals in nature right. You treat your pets right. You you make them family members. They're they're just there for you all the time. And these stories, instead of having statistical information and other yeah. reports which are good, these stories help uplift and let people see that. So no, if they go to the website, they can email us and they see they'll have other details that they could uh, take a look at. Okay, great. All right. So back to uh, the aneurysm part. Oh yeah, and uh, the only reason I'm sharing this is because it really does reflect. The yes. difference between men and women. Yes. I, I had a reaction, and I thought, oh, my God, if I had this reaction, my wife, Linda, would just fall apart in complete complete crying and tears. Uh-huh. Of course, this is all in my head because she's actually kind of strong. And that would be your family things. <laughs> so I went back to my office, and I took an extended lunch, and I did some research on brain aneurysms on the Internet. Yes. Oh, my God, that's the worst thing you could possibly do if you wanted to at least try to figure out that this might be come out come out okay. Yes. Uh, so I, I looked everything up, and it just was worse than even the doctor was talking about on the possibility. Even successful surgeries uh, leave, uh, you know, leave different uh, aspects of pain or other things that might be happening after that. Yes. Well, what I decided, well, I was going to create a fact sheet, and I was going to get the very best scenarios and the very best procedures, not ever saying brain surgery, but saying medical procedure, and all the things that would tone it down about a 1,000% uh-huh. with a one-pager with an overview and options and then possible uh, 
uh, high-quality websites where there wasn't so much of the drama and emotion and, and the pain that uh, was reported. So I did that, and I thought, well, this would be perfect for Linda. She can read it, and she can you know, realize that this is something that can be taken care of, and there's no need to have an emotional reaction. Uh-huh. Well, I went home that night, and I said, Linda, I have something for you to look at, and uh, it's something I learned today, and I gave her the piece of paper, and yeah. she read it, and she looked at me, and she said, and this is a quote, you have a brain aneurysm, you're going to have open brain surgery, and you gave me a memo? Yes. <laughs> I thought to myself, I actually said, well, I really didn't want to tell you. I was hoping maybe you'd go on vacation when I was having surgery. And then I shut up because she gave me a look that you know those type of looks when people give. You better not say another word. So I did something I should have done in the first place. I sat down next to her on the couch. I held her hand, and we were talking about all the you know all the things we had planned and everything that was going to be happening and yeah. and that um, and that uh, what the options are. And so I did what I was supposed to do in the first place, and that was sit down and listen and let her cry. Uh huh. Did you cry too? Oh, I was emotional. Yes, and did I did cry? shed some tears. I mean, after all, good. I'm glad you shocked. <laughs> So, yeah, all this time, Elise had become more and more attentive, and I was really surprised as, as, as he came to me and he was actually showing affection, getting near me, letting me touch him without any hesitation. He was all of a sudden turned into, this is my job mode. I'm going to take care of this guy. And how, at very, that point, how old was your dog at that point? It was about uh, six, maybe four to six months after we adopted him. Oh, I see. So very, very early on, yeah. Very early on, he was still having all sorts of problems, but he began to change the moment he saw the need. <laughs> oh, so he was very, he was very attuned to you. He was. You know, there's there's studies. University of Western Ontario study said that dogs are extremely good at figuring out what people need, and they're good with empathy, and they just go for it once yeah. they know. What a person needs. Yeah, yeah. So you anyway, know, the brain aneurysm business. I just want to mention. Yeah. There's no symptoms. You know what? Are walking around today, and according to the best studies and estimates they have, over six million people in the United States alone have unruptured brain aneurysms. One in fifty people in this country alone has an unruptured brain aneurysm, and there are no symptoms. I see. So it just it, goes away on its own? No, it never goes away. It just lives with them all their life. Exactly, unless it bursts or starts bleeding. Now, if there is a small bleed yeah. during that process and the person realizes that they're having the worst headache they've ever had in their entire life, yeah. you immediately need to go to the, see the doctor, and, they, and you say those exact words, and they know exactly what you're talking about, and they immediately look and do the scans and testing yeah. to see if there's an aneurysm that's doing a small bleed. But once it ruptures, that's basically a death sentence and possibly a disability Complete disability because that rupture is a major, major amount of blood in the brain once it ruptures. So how how did your situation end up? Well, I had to, of course, I was hoping there's two procedures that could take place with a brain aneurysm, unruptured brain aneurysm, and I was lucky. I was amazingly lucky that they found it prior to uh, either bleeding or rupturing. Yeah. Um, I we did some additional tests. Because there's two procedures. One would be open brain surgery, take the layers of the brain, move them, go in, and clip it with a titanium clip to keep the blood from going into that bubble yes. where the pressure would cause it possibly to uh, burst later on. Yes. The other procedure would be to go in, into, in the vein 
with a tube and go up and fill it with material so it will no longer have the capacity to hold any blood because it's filled with material. I see. So what happened, and this is kind of interesting, what happened is I, I went to get an MRI because they wanted more details to see which, which process would be the better way. Yes. And the MRI has, you know, the, how strange it is. They have these big tubes going into your the vein area and your groin area and going up and, and releasing all this uh, mature, uh, stuff in your blood so the X-ray could be very detailed and everything about the brain will be known on the screen. Uh-huh. Um, and they found out through that that it was one big blob and there was no definitive neck. It was just a blob that had to be clipped. There was no way of doing it and repairing the the uh, the aneurysm other than through uh, brain surgery uh-huh. coming in from the outside. Now, one other thing that happened that was kind of interesting, and of course, you know, I, I the reason why I mention this is because Lee was through all this and he was there, and it's in the, the book that uh, I really, it's a heartfelt book, uh, Dominating Leaf. But uh, one other thing that when, the, when they did the MI, it went into one section of the leg, but it caused a big nut. So I went in to get it checked. This is like days before surgery. Well, I'm getting confused. You had the aneurysm, and then you had a second issue with a clot in your leg? Exactly. They did wow. the check, and they said, my God, there's a clot next to it. Had and nothing like when it to rains do with the MRI. Forward. Had nothing to do with the MRI of the, of the, of the entry or the, of the, the, the little blot stuff there. It was in a different vein, but they found it and was able to <laughs> take care of that, too, before it went to the heart and caused a heart attack. So the, the probability of having both of those things in the same time in your body is fairly small. I would hope so. I mean, that was really, yes. I, I was just thinking, my, my goodness, what else is going on yes. here? So, so tell all of us, what did you have, what procedures did you have finally? Well, in order to have brain surgery, you, they could not put uh, blood thinner in me because it would cause too much bleeding and it would be a problem and all all the things that's medical and I, yeah. I, I, I so they had to put a, a wire umbrella type of device into the vein itself right before it reached the heart so if the blood clot did break loose and yeah. it, was, it was substantial it would not reach the heart it would be caught prior to going to the heart so that would allow me to have the surgery and then months later after the surgery then the umbrella could be taken out, and then normal uh, uh, blood uh, blood thinners or uh, blood uh, clot uh, dissolving yeah. elements could be entered into the blood, and that would be the normal procedure for doing it. So I I ended up having the surgery, and uh, and um, uh, it, and it was successful. The doctor that did the surgery is a well known, um, very 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 expert in the field, has done hundreds of these type of procedures, knew exactly what he was doing, and said afterwards, because it took twice as long as it would, he thought it would take, yeah. and it was good that it was taken care of. I would never have to worry about it again, but the 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 lining of the uh, uh, aneurysm was so thin that it was just, uh, you know, it would, have, it would have burst, and it would have caused a fatality, if not, uh, yeah. you know, lifelong disabilities. So I assume you were uh, under um, anesthesia at the time. I was, yes. And it came, uh, it, uh, it was interesting. Um, if I have time, I'd like to share one thing that was very important to me in this, this whole process. Okay. Um, there, before the surgery, I had a dream. 
Yes. And, and uh, you know, it could be the subconscious trying to tell me something. It could be any number of things. All I know is this dream seemed very, very real. And it was thousands of people all lined up to go into a massive structure, which I learned was called the building of life. They were going into this building to experience all the wonders of life, the love, the relationships, uh-huh. the books, the libraries, the oceans. Everything was in that building that represented life. Yeah. Everyone in the line had a ticket. I looked down at my hand in the dream, and I did not have a ticket. Uh-huh. I tried to get into the line. They looked at me and said, oh, you're no longer one of us. You're not supposed to be here. So I backed off, and I didn't know what to do because family and friends, my wife, all the people were in that line, and they were moving so fast and never looking back. It was as if I never existed, and I was devastated because I knew <laughs> that this was a dream, not just a dream, but maybe a warning of what might be coming. I see. So I woke up in a sweat, and this dog of mine, this wonderful little leaf boy, came up on the bed, and he licked me, and he was very, very comforting. This is surprising because he never does this. He was still in shock from everything from the yes. past. And I, I, later on in the morning, we got up. I told Linda about the dream. I was holding my hand up with nothing in it. There was no paper. I was visualizing as I was talking to Linda, telling her in great detail about the dream, because we, you know, there could be something going on subconsciously coming up to you, or there could be some sort of warning on a level that we don't very, very rarely pay attention to or have yes. little understanding. So all that was, and this little dog did something he never did before. He went over to the coffee table about a half hour after I talked about the dream and how devastating it was, yeah. and he pushed the papers, pushed the newspapers off the coffee table and started ripping them up into little shreds of paper. He uh-huh. would gather them up in his mouth and bring them over to me and wanted me to take the paper from him. Uh-huh. And I didn't because I didn't really understand, so he'd drop them at my feet, go back and bring more paper. And at the time I was getting annoyed, but as I look back, I really do believe in my heart that this little pup, for what you know, for whatever he might have understood, maybe just me talking with such emotion about the dream, yes. That I needed a ticket. Uh-huh. He was going to bring me some paper. He was going to do whatever it took to comfort me and make me feel better. It was so sweet. I see. And I just uh, thought yeah. that was just a... So then what happened with the uh, clot in your leg? Well, the umbrella kept it from... Uh, uh, if it did break loose, it would not have reached the heart. It stayed in the leg. It did not break loose. And uh, after surgery, uh-huh. uh, brain surgery... Uh, the doctor said in about, uh, I think it was 60 to 90 days, uh, the umbrella metal device could be taken out of the vein and I could begin the uh, the um, medication or the brain, uh, the, uh, the the clot dissolving medication uh, uh, that normally take place. Which so I after did, all this was done, were there any uh, uh, problems you had after the surgery and everything would seem fine, and then you were considered as normal as before, as healthy as No, well, after the surgery, of course, uh, right after the surgery, um, uh, I, my head was just one big massive pain. It was, it was awful. I would, I, and I, I know this uh, sounds silly, but because of the shrinkage in the, in the um, expansion of the brain, I, I went up there and, and I kind of gently knocked a couple of times, and it, was, it felt like it was hollow. There was an echo in my brain because it was no longer covering the full space it was supposed to, and finally it was beginning to get back into a more normal state. But uh, weeks and weeks and weeks of uh, painkiller 
and um, and uh, and I had to go back to work because our insurance wouldn't allow me to be uh, off longer than that. Yes. So I I went back to work and started traveling again, doing things. But it was it was very rough there for a while. So so after a while, you um, you didn't have any particular worry that an aneurysm or a blood clot might come up again. You figured the probability is no more higher than anyone else's at that point. Right. I think I think these two things. Uh, the 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 brain aneurysm was repaired with yeah. a clip, and it took a probably a normal amount of time for me to begin operating. The focus and the ability to concentrate the uh, some of the things that that were there before because of all the synapses being interrupted through the surgery itself uh, took time to heal, and even now I am not. Uh, 100% of what it was prior to the surgery, but it is as normal as it's going to get. <laughs> so, so <laughs> what issues? The, what, uh, the uh, how clot. do you how do you? Um, we're going to go to commercial break in about a minute. But how did you um, get to the point where you realized you were going to have some kind of problem, no matter how small it might be? Uh, I was in denial for a long time, and uh-huh. then about maybe uh, a year afterwards, uh, I realized that uh, I would I would always have uh, a diminished ability to concentrate or focus, and I think that's and it's not 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 terribly noticeable, but sometimes you know you do wander off a little bit once in a while. And how, when you wander off, so to speak, how long does the wander often take? Oh, a few seconds. It's not. It's not oh, severe. It's just. Yeah. It's just just enough to make you notice. <laughs> I get it. Okay. So we're coming up to our second and last commercial breaks, and then we'll come back and uh, have another seventeen or so minutes to go. Real life solutions. Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip, with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd 
at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower with my guest, Alan Anderson. We're talking about his dog and his aneurysm. That is the, the uh, man, Alan, his aneurysm. And, um, well, singular, I should say, really. So, Alan, um, before we get back, let's one more time tell people how they can find out about you. They can go to your website, www.angelanimals.net. Yes, uh, angelanimals.net. If you want to see some videos of Leaf or videos of us uh, talking about some of our books, me oh, yeah. and my wife, Linda, you can go to YouTube and just look up Angel Animals, and you go right to the Angel Animals channel. Oh, great. And, and there's uh, like uh, oh, uh, 40, 50, 60 uh, videos and and uh, different uh, uh, little shows of uh, Leaf. He, he's... He actually ran for president last time and lost, of course, but they have a great time with that. Did he get a few votes? What's that? When he was, when he was uh, trying to get into the presidency, did he get a few votes? Oh, he, he, actually, people told me they wrote in his name. I was yeah. kind of surprised because it was a serious election. Yeah. They, they told us that. Yeah. Was... Okay. And then you also have a um, newsletter called angelanimals.net and yes. you then have a Angel's Animal Story of the Week. It's a free newsletter. You just have to subscribe and yes. once a week in your email box you'll open okay. it up and Great. you'll have a brand new story. Okay, good. So tell us more about you and your wife and your relationship with your dog Leaf and how did you get the name Leaf? Well, when he was first uh abandoned at the shelter, the video or the camera system they have showed that they were that him and another dog was brought in on a Harley Davidson. So they always called him Harley. I see. And he didn't like that name because when we adopted him, we took him around a, a walk around a lake that was near the uh, shelter, and he began playing in the leaves and chasing leaves and rolling around the leaves. And, yes. and I said, Leaf. And he popped his head up and came right over, so I kind of knew at that oh, point. Oh, how sweet. <laughs> he got his name, Leaf. That's so lovely. He's, he's adorable. You know, uh, one thing I want to share, and this is so important, when people adopt a dog, and that dog knows just in the very core that without that adoption, bad things would happen, and he is so appreciative. Any adopted dog has so much more appreciation than one who has never known anything but love from a puppy. So there's a lot of difference in both the two ways of uh, having an animal in your life. Both are legit and both are wonderful ways of doing it, but if you decide to ever, when you're listening to the audience, if you decide to try adopting, adopting a dog from a shelter or from yeah. a rescue group, they, there's just a lot of appreciation and, and you'll feel that from that animal. I remember when after the surgery, and this was uh, several weeks afterwards, I had to go back in for some tests and I was just having a headache and I was having problems. And I had to go pick up Leaf at the uh, daycare center. And uh-huh. this daycare center had Animal Planet on. It's a real nice one. He likes to go play with the other dogs, so we were letting him get more social by going over there. Well, I picked him up right before they closed, and we got in the car, and I was just having a bad time of it because my head hurt so much. Everything was so bright. The light was bright. Uh, my eyes were hurting. There was this white van in front of me, and the reflection from the van was so, so harsh on my eyes. I started, I just lost it. I started yelling. Uh-huh. And I was just blurting out all sorts of things. The van stopped suddenly, and, and Leaf was in the back seat. And under normal circumstances, when someone is really losing control, a dog would normally cower. 
But on this one instance, he jumped into the front seat and started gently licking my face. Uh-huh. Like a parent would with a child who was having a bad tantrum or something, gently licking my face. I looked at him, and I began calming down, and he was so wonderfully attentive and so loving and not afraid. He knew I was going to always be careful and gentle with him, and he was so, so wonderful. And I was so embarrassed because all the white van in front of me did was stop at a stoplight. I don't know what happened where I lost it. But at that moment, I knew that he was just going to be, no matter what I did, there for me, even when I was acting almost irrational. So yes. we went home that day. I gave him plenty of treats and food, and we both took long naps. <laughs> yes. Do you, do you know of a fellow named Warren Eckstein? He has a radio show. It's called ThePetShow.com. I've heard of him. I think I have, yes. Yeah, we should check him out, ThePetShow.com. And he makes a big deal about how... Uh, animals that um, have been lost or sent to a, you know, a better place, um, that those dogs are extremely uh, thankful to have an owner that's taking care of them. That is so beautiful. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, well, you, you mentioned that you, you put your, you, the same kind of words to it a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so it's really a win-win situation. The dog finds an owner. And the owner finds the dog. And in the most cases, it's love at first sight, and they stay in love until you have to do them part. That's just beautiful. I, I just, there's no end to the devotion, the love, and there's a commitment on both ends. You know, there's, uh, it's, it's an interesting world we live in sometimes, and, and it's just crazy. And sometimes you just need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are loved. Yeah, sometimes that spark, that love, that specialness that comes through an animal uh -huh. reminds you of that, that no matter what, no matter what kind of day you're having, no matter how hard it is, no matter how many bills need to be paid and all the other stuff that we humans have to deal with on a daily basis, you are loved. And it comes right through that little pet size many, yeah. many times if we don't know other ways of getting it or if something's going on where life is not as easy as it could be. So during the week when you're doing your day job, is your wife away at a job also? Right, she does. She does uh, work also, and uh, during some of that time, she was uh, doing also some um, different classes. Uh, but uh, it was uh, more more temporary work, to, to uh, but not at that point permanent. Now she's more in a permanent situation. So we both do kind of double duty: writing our books and sharing our stories, and sharing stories of others, and also having our regular income type jobs. <laughs> yeah. So my question is, um, do you think Leaf would like to have another dog with him so when you and or your wife aren't around, he has a playmate? You how know, do you I would think so. He has it's... a cat. Her, his little sister cuddles, and they sort of play a little bit, even though the cat doesn't know how to do dog things, and he gets yeah. annoyed with her. He throws the ball at her or whatever, and she doesn't want to play. But they do, they do seem to be getting along much, much better than when he first came home. Her name is Cuddles. I see. She's a tuxedo. She's about 10 now, I believe, 10 or 12. She's just as adorable as she can be. And she, uh, she likes to take his dog bed and sleeps in the middle of it, so he has to sleep elsewhere sometimes. But they do have a sister-brother rivalry when it comes to attention, and, and they play sometimes together. And yeah, well, actually, it sounds like they enjoy each other. 
They do, they do. But, you know, another dog actually is not such a bad idea. We've kind of stayed away from the idea because Leaf seems to really enjoy all the attention when we are available at home. And um, I see. So, that is a good idea. Yeah. So does he have any, does Leaf have any unusual or funny kinds of uh, things he does? Well, it's, what we love about him is that he's so um, smart. He's yeah. so intelligent. Uh, when we first got him, I think about, oh, during this whole process, we gave him uh, probably probably one of his first toys was one of those long uh, kind of uh, cloth uh, doggy-looking toys that uh, uh, had, uh, it, it, at the time it was Christmas, and so it had Santa outfit on, and he carried it with him everywhere. He would sleep with it. He would put his arms around it. And during the day when he was on the couch asleep, he would go over, and I saw him do this, and I was thinking, why in the world he's doing this? He would prop the dog little uh, stuffed animal up on the window with his nose and eyes peering out. I think. I was thinking, Leif, you, do, you realize this is not <laughs> normal. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm wondering, why is he doing that? Linda thinks, well, he's, he's probably letting people know as they go by, that they should come by in there and play with them because we have we have lots of toys and things to do. So it was just so cute seeing that. He has done so many different things. Um, I, You know, I, this is kind of mystical a little bit, and I just wanted to mention to you because we are such complex people and we can always interpret things in right. all these sort of different ways. But I remember not knowing what was going to happen when the when I was going into surgery for brain surgery and the mask was coming down slowly towards me. Yes. And at that moment, and I still didn't actually put two to two together about Leaf and those pieces of paper he was trying to deliver. Uh-huh. But in my mind's eye, what I saw was his face with that piece of paper in his mouth. And and the, the mask was slowly coming on to put, to put me to sleep for the surgery, the brain surgery. Uh-huh. And I reached out in my mind's eye and touched it, and I knew that at that moment I had the ticket to life. I could go into the ticket to the building of life. And I knew, and I relaxed, and I knew everything was going to be okay. I would never have felt that relaxation had I not seen him prior to the uh, to the medication coming down and yeah. putting me to sleep. I, you know, some people say, "Oh, you know, you, I don't really care what people say." I had what I needed that moment prior to surgery, and it was a blessing, and it really helped me through knowing in my heart that it was all going to be okay. Yeah. So when you were a young boy and you had to move every few years because of your father's occupation, did you have dogs when you were a kid? We did. We did. We, uh, we had dogs. Uh, uh, and unfortunately, because we were moving constantly, my parents uh, weren't exactly the best of uh, <laughs> dog owners. They would, they would uh, because of the move, sometimes they would let the dog go back to a shelter, try to find a home. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a pretty sight. And as a child, we had little say over any of that. Yes. But, uh, yeah, we did have dogs, and it was very, very important, and they were special to us, and we did everything we could to, they were just part of the family. So did you have, so were some of your dogs able to move from country to country? Not the country to country, we were mostly in the States. The only country we went to was Japan, and then we didn't bring dogs with us or bring any back. Right. It was uh, state to state, we were uh, on occasion able to bring dogs with us, uh, and that was that was special. Yes. So you've written uh, many books, most of them about dogs, I think, but some cats and some other animals. 
So yeah, we, we uh, have a book named Angel Dogs, and it's all about special experiences people had with their dogs, beautiful stories. You know, people, a lot of times, and I found this to be true in my own life, I sometimes have to look to Leaf or to our dogs in the past and see, well, they are just not all that worried about what's going to happen in the future. They're not all stressed out about what happened in the past. They're living in the moment. Yes. They're enjoying each moment. Yes. And maybe so life, my life could be better if I was enjoying each moment and giving goodwill to those around me instead of feeling the negativity that sometimes comes in life, you know, you're facing yes. challenges or other things are happening with your relationships with people. So to become a better human being, sometimes, I, and I believe this to be true, and this is what many of the people that share their stories with us for these books, uh, all you have to look down is that those, those, those little eyes at, at your feet on those four legs yeah, and you can see something very special that maybe will help you become better in the way you handle life. Yes. So uh, all or, or most of your books, at least, a uh, big component is having the pet, right? It is, but a lot of times it's animals in nature. People are walking a beautiful path or seeing a beautiful seagull, and it has some representation, or maybe they are adopting, not adopting, maybe volunteering at the shelter or a rescue group, and they they strike up a really deep relationship with one of the animals that they're helping find a home. So, you know, people, not all people can have pets because of their circumstances or where they live. So they, they may volunteer. They may spend a lot of time in nature just to be able to get in touch with something special inside that we've sort of all lost. Yes. You know, and, and, uh, and, and they have those types of experiences and they share stories. Uh, horses, of course, uh, many of the people, that are disabled and are using horses as therapy, share stories about how that has made their lives much, much better. Uh, our books, uh, Angel Animals is one, Angel Dogs, Angel Cats, uh, Angel Horses is another. We wrote a book about the hurricane, uh-huh. uh, rescue saving animals from disaster, the Katrina disaster, the Gulf Coast disaster. Yes. And that was more of a, and it actually won the American Society of Journalists Award uh, for that year because it was such a good book and people yes. really liked that documentation. Yes. So you love your animals and they love you. Uh, yes. And what you talked about earlier, about loss, yes. that that is something that, that um, is, is very deep and goes very, very deep. Uh, we have a book called Saying Goodbye that has uh, different types of uh, memorial services that people can use if they wanted to have some sort of ritual or ending to that relationship with the memories, the wonderful memories of that pet that's been so special to them over the years. Um, People just, they need ritual. We all need ritual of some kind, especially during the the time of loss. Yeah. We have about 20 seconds left. Any last thing you want to say in in less than 15 seconds? You've been so nice to have me on your show. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. It was a wonderful, wonderful Oh, well, it was great for me. I really enjoyed having you, and you sound like a very nice guy, and I'm going to talk to you in the very near future. Well, thank you so much for Okay, so thank you for being on my show. And that's it, everybody. Talk to you next week. Everybody, have a good week. Bye. Thank you again for listening today. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have fun experiencing your human behavior.